Good morning. We will be in the book of Mark, chapter 8, if you want to head that direction. Uh, a few weeks ago, picked back up in a series going through Mark um, that uh, kind of picked up on a series that maybe you were here for, maybe you weren't here for the first part of it. But just going story by story through the gospel of Mark and seeing what God wants to teach us and show us and uh, what we can learn from our rabbi, uh, whose name is Jesus. And we get to a story that's it's kind of strange. Um, and it's one that has been interpreted a lot of, not a lot of different ways, but there are, are a lot of opinions, let's say, about this text. And so let's see what God wants us to learn today. Starting in chapter 8, verse 11. It says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and uh, the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you, did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven uh, for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So this is one of those texts where we get to see the emotional Jesus, you know. There's not a lot, not too many times where, where we get kind of a backstage pass into what he's feeling. And I love the reminder that he was, he was human, you know. Sometimes it's easy to put him in this like superhuman category, but he had human emotions. He knew what it was like to be happy and to be sad and to grieve and to celebrate. And uh, there were, are times when, you know, when he has compassion and the text will tell us that and you're reminded like, oh, he was... He was tender, you know. Um, And here we see that he is frustrated. How good is it to know that we have a God that's frustrated, right? Isn't that encouraging? I'm just kind of kidding. but uh, Because most of us walk around thinking he's frustrated with us all the time, you know. So usually it's like, oh, good, a story that that shows me he's not angry all the time and all that. And uh, I say that he's frustrated. It doesn't mean he's frustrated with you. He's frustrated with, with, with this situation that's going on with both the Pharisees and his own disciples. And so it's a very interesting kind of look into his character. So let's go a little bit at a time. So let's look back at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. All right, let's stop right there. We'll talk about who the Pharisees are in a minute. But there's, there's some language, like in the original language, this is a very aggressive sentence. Like when it, it says that they came and, and they began to argue with him, like it, they, it literally means that they like came at him, backed him into a corner and like were provoking him. Like this was an aggressive move on their part. Um, 
and they were they were seeking a sign from heaven, meaning a sign to authenticate that he is who he says he is, that he is the, the Son of God, the Messiah, however, however you want to think of it. They were pushing him, and they were saying, we want heaven to prove it to us. And there's some translations that literally say that they like pushed him against the wall. I don't know where they get that in there, but it, it has that tone to it in the original language. And, and they're doing all this to test him, not because they are like seeking to know the truth. They're, tr- they're once again trying to set him up to find some way to accuse him and, and call him out for the fraud that they think that he is. And so this is not a, like there's a difference between when, you, when you're sincerely seeking after the Lord and, and you're like, you really want to know versus when you're like, you've already made up your mind, you're just looking for a way to prove it. And that's kind of what's going on here. And so this is a more aggressive turn um, in regard to uh, his ministry and the way that it is impacting the religious and political like ripples of the day. And so we will start to see as we go further through Mark, like more of a more of what a controversial figure he was. And this is kind of a turning point for us. So verse 12. So they come at him, back, into, back him into a corner, are trying to test him, pushing him for a sign from heaven. It says in verse 12 that he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I will say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He left them, got into the boat, went to the other side. Um, when it says that he sighed deeply, if you were here a few weeks ago, when they, in chapter 6, they bring him a man who was, was deaf and uh, unable to speak. And right before Jesus heals him, it says that he sighed deeply. And then he healed him. Now that side, side deeply, like that word in the original language means more of a groaning. And, and we talked about Jesus' his like sadness over the brokenness of our, of our condition. You know, just one of those times when, when he comes face to face with it and it just gets to him. You know, just that groan. Um, that's not what this is. This is the other kind of side deeply. You know, this is... This is the like the the parent whose kid has asked them a thousand times where the scissors are, you know, and you're like, uh, where have you looked? That was my dad's always first question. Have you looked for them? Where are they always in the same drawer all the time? You know, it's that it's that like exhausted, like I cannot believe that you're asking me this again, kind of thing. So he sighed deeply in his spirit. Then, he, then the language that he uses is really intentional. And it's not something that we would pick up on uh, as uh, Americans in 2019. Um, but some really, like, the people who study the scriptures a lot, they pick up on it really quickly because um, he's, he's saying, uh, why does this generation want a sign? And that's not language he uses very much. And there's a, but there's another place in the Bible where this, like the word generation referring to them like as a generation is like a normal thing. And that's in the Exodus story. And they, uh, there were signs given to them during the Exodus. They also were demanding signs. And so the idea that there were signs and there was like the use of generation, what he's telling them is he's trying to help them connect the dot between their attitude in this moment and their ancestors who they have studied about. And what did their ancestors do? Well, they like didn't trust the Lord. They rebelled against him and they wound up uh, wandering in the desert until they all died. So he wants them to remember that. He wants them to, 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 without having to come out and say it, he wants them to see 
that they are doing to him the same thing that the Israelites did to God in the Exodus. And so he uses language because these are the these are your like biblical like your your scholars that studied the law and they knew the Old Testament, they knew all this stuff. So he like he said it in a way that they would know exactly what he was saying. So you're you're demanding a sign from heaven and you you're not you don't aren't the one that gives the demands. Remember your ancestors, they gave demands and look what happened to them. He wants them to, to connect the dots and understand that 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 he sees rebellion in them. But more important than that, he sees the self-centered attitude, the self-righteousness, the like the the, the complete um, obsession with uh, rule keeping and like like I can do all this on my own kind of thing that the Pharisees have. That was also in them. He says you're demanding a sign from heaven, and uh, you're not going to get one. You're just you're not going to get one. And then he somehow gets gets out of that, goes and gets in a boat and leaves. So then, kind of keep in mind that that whole thing, because what was happening to these Pharisees is they were they were studying the scriptures, but they were missing the Lord. They were surrounded by God's activity, but yet they missed God's activity. Here are the Israelites. Freed through uh, through all these like these all the plagues, you know those were signs from heaven. They're let go. They cross the Red Sea. That's a sign from heaven. They get to the other side. They're led by by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. God provides manna on the ground. He brings water out of rocks. He he provides for them in in, in every single way. And they're surrounded by the activity of God. And then they're still shaking their fists at him. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Surrounded by the work of God, and they missed it. So Jesus is going, goes to the other side of the, of the lake. Now we switch context, we jump to the disciples. Um, verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And only had one loaf with them in the boat. Alright, let's stop right there. If you were here last week, or if you want to look up in your Bible, the last thing that we see from the disciples is Jesus feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And they have seven baskets of food left over. And these dummies get in the boat and go, and they don't bring anything with them. Like, what is wrong with them? You know, like, I, I know sometimes like, let's go easy on them here. Let's, let's beat them up here. Like that's, that is ridiculous. I heard one guy preaching. He said, if, if you had seven baskets of miracle bread, would you just leave it at home? You know, and it's like, exactly. Like, what is, what is going on with them? So they get into the boat. They don't have, they don't have any bread. Well, they have one loaf of bread. Um, in verse 15, Jesus, he cautioned them. He says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay, let's talk about this for a bit. He's obviously been stewing on this encounter with the disciples. It's bothering him. Bothering him that the religious leaders of the day, the the people that the entire nation of Israel are looking to, uh, to teach them and, and, uh, and, and guide them in the scriptures and point them to the Lord, the people who have the most knowledge of the living word of God, 
that they're surrounded by God's activity and yet they have no idea that God is in their midst. Just the, like, the cluelessness that's there. It's bothering him. And so he uses this as an opportunity, this kind of bread debacle, you know, uses this as an opportunity to teach them something very important. And he uses this, like the concept of leaven. And uh, I had to read up on it a little bit. And it's, leaven is, is not, it's not yeast, but it's very similar in the, in the sense that you can have these different, different agents that will leaven bread. They'll work their way all the way through the bread so that the bread rises when you, when you bake it. Um, and so they wouldn't have had yeast, but it was like a fermented dough. And so what you would do apparently is like whenever you, like you would, uh, you would put a little bit into the, the, the big dough and it would work its way all the way through until it was ready to bake. And you would take a piece of that and set it aside, bake the rest of the bread. And then that piece that you saved, you would save that. And then next time you went to make bread, you would add that into a fresh batch of dough. And so it just kind of kept paying it forward, you know, um, but it, the, the, the point is that it was a, this little thing that would start small, work its way through, and eventually take over the whole, the whole deal. And if you, let it, but if you let it sit too long, it would become rancid and it would, become, it would make you sick. And so there was a lot of timing with it and those kind of things. And so uh, that's what leaven was. And Jesus says, look at verse 15, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware of this little thing about them that has worked its way through their entire lives and is now taken over. And leaven in this time was associated with, it could be evil, it could be sin, it could be hypocrisy, it could be false teaching. It was, it was uh, almost every time it's used in the Bible, it's, it's, in, the, it's in a more negative like, connotation. And so there was something about them that had worked its way through them and, and was contaminating their lives and everything that, as their lives went out. So what, what, is, what is the leaven of the Pharisees and, and of Herod? Um, well, the Pharisees and, the, and Herod, they, kinda, they don't have a ton in common, really. The Pharisees were, they were a like, religious group. They were the biggest, or like the most uh, in number. They were the uh, the, the dominant religious group of the day. They controlled the synagogues. They controlled the people, really. Like it was, um, as, as you know, the nation of Israel was like very, uh, like very religious. And so the, the powerful people weren't the politicians. They were the like religious leaders. And so the Pharisees were the lead religious group. Um, they were experts in the law. They studied it. They obsessed over it, over it to the point where they, uh, they, they moved Israel from being a, a nation that rallied around like uh, sacrifice as a way of worshiping and connecting with God and, and atoning for sin. They brought them from that, that idea toward one where you just follow a bunch of rules and that's how you get to God. And so all of the like legalism and, and rule keeping that we like that has kind of like worked its way into like a lot of our like world is because they they transitioned from a from a faith-based sacrificial love for God into one where they're able to keep the rules because it's much easier to keep rules you know like that puts you in control so if you keep the rules then like yeah you you did it and if you didn't keep the rules or at least you're to blame you know it's not someone else some sort of outside thing and so 
they are responsible for making Judaism a very self-driven, self-centered religion. And so you had them, and then you had Herod, who was the king of Judea, uh, although there was Roman occupancy, he was the king of this this uh, region. And uh, Herod was just known for uh, not being very religious. First of all, uh, he had there's a, a lot of wealth and just a lot of stuff, and he was like a very um, he just liked to party. Let's just say it. And and he did whatever he wanted all the time, and he surrounded himself with people that would just endorse that. And so you had uh, this kind of like political part of this of his instruction the leaven of herod so maybe talking about maybe maybe license is doing whatever you want and a a really like self uh self-centered lifestyle then you have the pharisees who are keep all the rules and that's how you get to god it was a very uh like self-reliant kind of thing and really the, the the key to both of them would really be this dependent on on self like that would be the the leaven um, Jesus says in another place that the, the leaven of, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is hypocrisy. And at the base of hypocrisy is self. And so everything, all the criticisms of the Pharisees and of the political, it always trickles down to this idolatry of me that's there. So you had the self-reliant Pharisees and the self-centered uh, Herod and although there wasn't a lot in common in a lot of their lives, the, the big picture trajectory is the same, is that this self-centeredness had started small, let's say, and worked its way through their entire lives and was now destroying them. But the big thing that Jesus hammers on is that it's not only like destroying their lives, it is blinding them to the fact that God is standing in their midst. That God is doing something among them right there in front of them and they can't even see it because they're so busy looking in the mirror at themselves. You know, That's the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod is this obsession with self. So he's basically telling the disciples that the very thing that is keeping the Pharisees and Herod blind from blind and, and missing God's activity among them, the very thing that has done that to them can also do it to the disciples. So you got to beware. you got to be careful. So here's the, this, this compassionate Savior who's so frustrated with the Pharisees. And he looks at his guys and he's like, don't let it happen to you too. You just need to know that it's possible. Don't let it happen to you too. And it's funny when you kind of step back and think about it, like, um, here are these disciples who are literally immersed in God's activity. They're walking around with God every day. They're watching everything that he does. They're listening to every word that he says. They are like, like right there in front of them every single day. And Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? You, you can still miss it if you're not careful. And that kind of seems impossible. Jesus says, no, I'm going to use this this bread situation to teach you something. So he's warning them to stay on top of their own self-interest. And otherwise they'll end up just like the other guys. So look, verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. 
Like, you know that emoji on your phone of, like, a person, like, slapping themselves in the face? Like, this is, that's, that's what that was created for, is this verse. Jesus says this deeply profound thing, which he has done many times, and he often didn't make a lot of sense to them because he wanted them to think and engage and wrestle and ask questions and process and all that. He says this incredibly profound thing to them, and they're like, hmm, Amen. All right. Now, who didn't bring the bread? <laughs> yeah. Let me guess. Judas. It's his turn. Like, like, how obtuse can you be? And I was reading that this week, and I was just like, I cannot believe that. What a bunch of dummies, you know? And then I was like, man, I'm so glad. I, I didn't, that, that never happens to me, you know? So glad that, that God doesn't, there's never a time when God communicates something deep and beautiful to me. And in an instant, I am thinking about something completely ridiculous. Or I have moved on so fast, you know, to something else. Like, I, I, I have been there so many times, it's just embarrassing to think about it. I'm like, ooh, that's good. I'm going to come back to that later. I'm going to hit pause on that one and come back to it. And that's one of the, one of the frustrating things about uh, the way that... I'll just go off the cuff for a second. It's one of the frustrating things about the, how church has fit into our lives for, for me, in my opinion. And, and I've talked with enough of you to know you probably are the same way, where like, you, you can't help but feel boxed into a time slot, you know? And when, when, I, when I, my faith was really coming alive in me was a, was a time in life when I was unencumbered in like, any way. I had like, I mean, I had like, I, had college, you know, I was in, in college, I had school, I had work. But like, we met with this, like our college ministry used to meet at 7.30 on a Sunday night. Some of you are in bed by 7.30 on a Sunday night, right? We started at 7.30. We went until 9, 9.30. But there were times when the, like God was doing something in the room and we would just say, look, if you got to go, you can go, but we're going we're gonna to keep singing or we're going to keep playing or we're going to keep praying, you know, however we need to work. We're just going to be here as long as you need to be here. So if you're doing business with the Lord, then like we'll stay, you know. And people would go and people would stay and all that. But you just, you had this kind of open-endedness to the gathering of the saints in a way that you really felt like, uh, you're like, I, I have nowhere else I'd rather be than here, you know? And you felt like God could speak and keep speaking and you weren't looking at your watch and you weren't trying to think of where you had to be. And it was definitely a time before, like there were no kids around except for Addie uh, at one point. And, uh, you know, there was no, there was just nothing else pressing on us because that was a season of life when that's just how it went. Um, and I, I don't miss that season of life because it was, you know, and just, and it's, you know, you know, I don't miss that season of life, but I do miss the freedom of times when the saints gathered together and it was like, I don't know when we're going to finish, you know, like God can do whatever he wants to do. And for some people he might wrap up early and for some people he may get to stirring and do everything. And we're just, we're going to just going to give him no boundaries tonight. And that became what happened every, every Sunday night. And sometimes it went long and sometimes it was, you know, it ended normal and that kind of stuff. But there was always the, the possibility. And it, 
and, and I, I miss that because I feel like now that like we're like in like like a church mode and we're like full of like, grown ups and we do have responsibilities and there's kids and there's schedules and there's you know there's so much good that's going on I, I, I can't but feel like I like it's it's hard to like recapture some of that open endedness you know um, and I, I don't I'm just I'm just like I said I'm being off the cuff and just kind of vulnerable with you. Um, not criticizing wh- how we do what we do or thinking we need to change all this kind of stuff. I'm just being honest that I'd, I would love to not worry about what time it is, you know. I would love to, to kind of have those times where it's just like whatever God wants to do, He can do it. Because of this story, because we can be here together and God can be speaking these deep things, and once we say that priestly blessing... You know, you know as well as I do. Like we, we're on to the next thing, and so I think we have to learn how to steward those God moments in this rhythm. Okay, so a part of what I'm saying is, um, like, we're not changing what we do, but we do have to be aware of the fact that if God is moving, um, you don't have to leave right away. You know, like you don't, you don't. That doesn't have to stop. Or you can be like, hey, I got to pull it together. I got to get my kids. You know, like they, they don't care that God's doing something right now. Uh, I got to get my kids, but I got to come back to this with the Lord at some, at some time. You know, like, like if you want to put a pin in it, put a pin in it, but pull the pin out at some point, you know. Um, because what we don't want to do is we don't want to be in the midst of God moving and doing all these kinds of things. And then as soon as something else happens, we're like, hey, why don't we bring any bread? You know? I think God is saying... To us, the same thing he's saying to them, like, hey, it can happen to you. You can be as obtuse as this. And it, it, he's like, it's not about the bread. And that's what he goes on, goes on to tell him. He, uh, they're talking about how, like, who brought the bread and why don't we have any bread? And that's mostly what he's talking about. He's getting on to us. And verse 17, Jesus, aware of what they're talking about, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, uh, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said 12. And, this, and seven for the 4,000, how many baskets did you take up? They said seven. So do you not understand? Like, basically, they're proving his point. And he, he gets frustrated, but it's the good kind, you know, like, it's not the, like, I'm so disappointed in you, I'm getting on to you, you know, he's pleading with them. He's like, I want, I do not want you to miss this. And so if, if it's a lack of understanding, tell me if it's a hardness of heart, tell me if it's that you can't see it or you can't hear it, tell me if it's that you don't remember, I'll help you remember but you guys cannot miss the fact that I'm in your midst, that God is with you and doing something. You, you can't be so distracted by your own self-interest that you miss what's happening in your midst. Because you know what happens? That begins to work its way through your life, just like leaven through a, a chunk of bread, and it's, it will erode you and destroy you, just like it's done to them. He uses language that they would have, that they would have recognized. Um, 
Like he references, this is Jeremiah 5, 21. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Ezekiel 12, 2. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear but hear not, for they are a rebellious rebellious house. Isaiah 43, 8. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. Like he's, he's using this language which would have triggered these Old Testament prophets that they, that they knew. And he's like, I don't want to be talking about you. Like I don't, I don't want that to describe you who are mine. He's not saying this like to the masses. He's saying this to his, like his guys. These are the inside, this is the inside crew. And he's like, you know what? This can eat you alive just as much as it's eating them alive. If you don't stay on top of it and deal with it. So left unattended, our self-obsession will erode us holistically. Notice he goes, he's like, do you not understand? That's, that's the mind. He's like, do you not remember? That's the mind. Do you not see? Do you not hear? Like that's, that's physical. That's processing what's going on you know, around you. your heart's hardened. He goes, he covers this holistic picture. He's like, what's going on? We got to figure it out, you know? So, we tracking along with kind of what's going on here? Like he's, he's burdened for them. He knew it would be the case for the Pharisees. I don't want it for you. And then they start to show that maybe that's happening. And he's like, he doesn't panic, but he's like, no, this will not be the case for mine. So I start thinking about us and just like, okay, so what does this have to do? How does this meet us? You know, um, and obviously if our lives are built around self, we're never going to be on the same page with Jesus ever. Like if, if my life is just about me, then I'm, I'm always going to be at odds with Jesus and I'm never going to really be in tune with what he's doing in me, in me and around me. It just, won't, it just won't happen. And so what he's doing for them and for us, I think through the scriptures, is he's showing us the landing point of like, like self-centered living, the, the trajectory of that lifestyle. It lands in a place where we are blind and deaf to what is going on around us, to what he is doing among us. It's not random, like in, in like Mark's gospel, that we see a man who is, who is uh, deaf and mute, and then he feeds the 5,000 this food miracle that is reflective of manna from heaven in the Exodus. And then you have this encounter, and it's bookended next week. Spoiler, he uh, restores sight to someone who is blind. Like it is sandwiched in the middle. Is like uh, you think that this guy was deaf and mute, and this guy was blind. But I'll tell you who's deaf, mute, and blind. You are. If you let self work its way through your life, and so it made me think about our own sources of leaven. You know, what are the leavening agents in our lives? These these little things that left unattended grow and grow and grow and grow and take over our lives and. I don't have to give you a bunch of examples. You you can probably track that in your own like you're in your own life because we're all different people and 
But I think the key is, like, he uses leaven on purpose because he wants us to think, what are things that start small and they morph and grow and take over, you know? So a little self-reliance here, a little self-indulgence, a little self-promotion. Oof. I mean, like, I don't really need to pray about that. I kind of know what to do. Or I can handle that without the Lord. Or I don't need to seek wisdom or counsel. I don't need to share that with my community. I don't really know what more I can learn, you know, so what's the point of going to church or community group, that kind of thing. Uh, I can stop doing this, you know, whatever this, whatever sin is getting. I, I can stop anytime I want, you know. Um, yeah, all that language of like, I deserve it, I've earned it. Like all those things that they, they're starting off so small and then they morph. And they morph into things like consumerism and vanity and busyness and distraction and debt. And that's the point is that, that that self-centeredness begins to work its way into all these areas of life. And so, so you may go from being self-reliant uh, in, in one area of life, and then next thing you know, that self-reliance starts to bleed into the other ones, and, and you become this like big loaf of self-reliance in all these different areas of life. And by the time it ends up consuming us, we're missing God's activity around us because we made it all about our own activities and we wonder like well how come i'm so stressed (laughs) how come anxiety and depression and substance abuse and relational emptiness and financial debt why are all these things higher than ever well it's because we live in a self-absorbed culture that we experience in these little bits and if we don't stay on top of that that leaven will grow and work its way into our lives. And next thing you know, you're, you're the very person you swore you would never be. I told a story a few weeks ago about the, the passion, uh, passion event called One Day. It was in 2000. It was uh, the year 2000. It was 40,000 college students gathered for a, just a full day of worship and prayer and teaching and all this stuff. It was an outdoor deal. And, um, I remember I was recounting a lot of that stuff and I shared that story at one point and and I had the thought, I was like, I, I remember feeling like, like that was a day for me when I committed to never selling out. And I wonder, if I look at my life now, if my, if my 2000 self could look at my 2019 self, would I, how would I assess things? And I started thinking bigger, and I was like, I wonder how many people that day said, I will never sell out. And I wonder what, what our lives look like now, you know. How much leaven of self has, like, worked its way in? And what do you do about it, you know? Like, what do you... What do you do when you realize that, man, self-interest really has been, has been driving me a lot more than I realize, and it's causing to me to become someone that, I, that God does not have... That's not who God has for me to be. Like, that's not who... He designed me to be, and it's not who I want to be. It's not who I want to be for my for my spouse, my kids, my friends, my church, my you know community, my neighbors. Nothing. Um, I think some of it begins by just being aware that if we let self interest drive us, as that leaven works its way through, we we just we miss this one beautiful reality. Is that God is with us. You know? Like Jesus is standing with the twelve. He's saying, hey, you might miss God in your midst. 
He's talking to the Pharisees who should have known every, every prophecy, every scripture, every, everything. He says, hey, guess what? You might be missing it. And I hear that and I'm like, I don't want to miss anything. You know, like I, I don't want to ever miss what God is doing in, in my presence, in my own, like, my own life. And Jesus is like, well, guess what? I don't want you to miss that either. Here's what will block that. Here's what will blind you to that is self-interest. And he's offering, he's like holding out this beautiful life of simplicity to us. That's what I love about him is he's never saying, hey, let's, let's complicate your life. That's really what I, I designed you to live a really complex, complicated, busy, distracted, whatever life. That's what I have for you. Let's, let's max out everything that you have. Uh, he's like, no, I'm just going to offer this real simple life to you. Um, where I'm, you're, like, I'm your God, you're my people, I take care of you. Uh, and I'm going to sacrifice a lot for you. Here's what I don't want you to sacrifice for me is I just want you to not be number one. Just don't be the center of your universe, and then we'll we'll take it from there. You know, so it's very simple, really. And I think he's really driving back to the disciples and to us. Just, he's just I think he's just saying, "Let's look at me, like see me for who I am, and what I'm doing all around you." So, how do we work toward this? Uh, I just jotted this down based on his own questions to them, um, but I think we. I think we pursue humility, which is the like anti-venom of self, you know. We pursue humility through like prayer and asking God to help us. Like, you have to humble yourself and ask God for help. And so in order to like get the leaven out of us, we have to pursue something, uh, like pursue this help and that like he forms this like humility in us. It kind of breaks us and puts us back together again. It's this whole beautiful process. But here's, here's five quick, quick prayers based on what he asked them. Um, he asked them if they don't perceive or understand. So my counter prayer is simply, Lord, help me to perceive and understand. Like, just help me to, under, like, to understand who you are and what you're doing. As much like cognitive like grasping as, as I can bring to the table, will you help me help me to do that? Will you help my mind? Second thing, he asked me if their hearts were hardened. So Lord help my heart to not be hardened. Just that simple. Our hearts become hardened and, and calloused by our sin to where we we don't we don't sense his leadership, we don't sense his conviction, we we get frustrated because we're like, I don't I don't know what to do about this. I feel like God's not talking to me and all that stuff. Say, Lord, help my heart to not be hard. Man, that could be sensitive to your leadership. Third, when he says, do you have eyes but can't see? And so, I, well, Lord, help me to see. Help me to see your activity in my, like internally or in my life and around me. Help me to see all the things that you're doing. Don't, don't let me be blind to it. Don't, don't let me miss it. Fourth thing. He, you know, he says, do you have ears but can't hear? So fourth thing, Lord, help me to hear. Help me to hear. And for some reason, I, I went in this direction with help me hear. was really like, I, w- I want to hear what's happening around me. Like, I want to be present with people. I want to hear uh, how they're doing. I want to I 
I don't want to be distracted. I don't want my, my phone going off and me looking at it or my Apple Watch or whatever it might be. I don't want to be taken out of moments by technology or because I've overscheduled or anything else. I want, to, I want to hear. I want to truly hear. Then he asked them, have you, have you forgotten? And, or do you not remember what I've done? And so last thing, Lord, help me to remember. Help me to remember who you are and what, and what you've done. Don't let me forget what you've been doing in me and around me. Paul talks about that. He said it's like a person who looks himself in the mirror, walks away, and forgets what he looks like. I don't want to be that person in any way, in any way, shape, or form. So if you're willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, I, without your help, I will not perceive and understand. Without your help, I will, like, like my heart will be hardened and I will not be sensitive to what's going on. Without your help, I will be blind to your activity. Without your help, I will not hear what is going on around me and process that and be able to be present with people. Without your help, I will forget everything that you have done for me, like a man who forgets his reflection in the mirror two seconds after he walks away. I will become that person. I will be a disciple sitting, looking at you, uh, and has no idea that God is standing in front of me. And that is the last thing I want to be. And so Jesus is, is urging them, he's, he's telling them, beware, this can happen to you. And maybe it hasn't happened to you. I hope that God affirms you, you know. Like if you're sitting there and you're like, I just, I just don't feel like this is describing me, then I hope that, I think sometimes you need a high five from the Lord. of Like, you know what? Like you've, you've been doing great. Like this is good. My assumption is not that everyone across the board has become Herod. But if there was a spectrum between this does not apply to me and like, and I'm a Pharisee, I'm Herod, uh, and the disciples are, you know, who knows where they are. I don't know where you think you are. I, it doesn't matter to me where you are. God knows where you are. He wants to lead you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I care about where you are, but... It, that's really his, that's you and him. I have to steward my own life. You have to steward your life. And so whatever he wants to speak to you through the scriptures, I hope that we've been able to hear him today. Um, now we'll have a few minutes and respond. And uh, we're, this won't be one of those like open-ended days because I know it probably feels like, oh, uh, I know where he's going with this. We're not going to do that. Uh, you, but you know, if God's stirring something when we're done, you don't have to leave. You know, you can, we'll hang around as long as you want to hang around, but we do have a few ways to respond. Uh, communion is a, is, is a tangible reminder that God said, look, I'm enough for you. Um, your life is not built around you. It's built around me. And from there, you'll have everything you need and more. The economy of the kingdom applies there as well. And so you're welcome in our communion lines. Uh, it's where you take the bread, which has no leaven in it, uh, and you dip it in the juice and you take it yourself. And so we'll have two lines there, and you're welcome there. If, if you want what Jesus is offering to you, um, you're welcome. You can come and kneel and pray. Uh, we'll have some folks on the front row who would love to pray with you, if that would be helpful. Or you can sing. You can give at our giving stations on the, on the, on the corners over here. Um, but whatever you feel like you need to do in order to connect with what God's stirring in you, whether it's through the, through the text or through the songs, I want to give you time to do that. So let's stand together. Let me pray for us. God, 
Um, I'm thankful for the story, and I love the fact that you were the good kind of frustrated. Um, that you weren't sinning when you were frustrated, but you were you were pleading with them. You were warning them uh, because these and these were your these were your sons, and you desperately want them to get it, and you want us to get it as well. Not to miss the fact that that you are with us, and you are for us, and you're moving among us. Uh, that you are not a distant God who is uninvolved uh, or detached or anything else, but you're alive and. So however this applies to us, you know, we, we have to each steward that on our own. I pray in these next few minutes, whether it's communion or prayer or singing or giving, uh, that whatever we need to do to kind of solidify that and connect with you in that, we feel the freedom to do so. And so as these next few moments, Lord, they are yours, they're not ours. We're not worried about what's next. So help us to perceive and understand, help our hearts not be hard, help us to see, help us to hear, help us to remember. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, our stations are open. You can come whenever you're ready.